This week on the Premiership Perusal Podcast, I fly solo, Hank's gone, but guess what? We still got a podcast to cover. Lots of goals this week, match week 23, most goals in a Premier League match week in history from Newcastle's 4-4 thriller with Luton to Aston Villa's 5-0 beatdown, Sheffield United as well as Arsenal's big triumph against Liverpool, all that and more. This is the Premiership Perusal Podcast. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! Back, Fuchs. And the ball in behind Damian Bunny! You are an ostrich. Well, your head must be in the sand. Is your head in the sand? Can you, are you flexible enough to get your head in the sand? Now the fans are shouting every week, Louis van Gaal's army! Louis van Gaal's army! Feet after a fabulous start, the game just got away from you there. I have nothing, nothing to say. Nothing to say about the game at all? Well, 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 here we are. It only took a hundred and some odd episodes before I ended up doing one of these by myself. Hank, unable to join me tonight. Don't fret, he'll be back soon enough. But this week, flying solo. So, like I said, plenty of goals to go around. Most goals in a match week in Premier League history. Uh, starting it off, we got four goals. Everton. Versus Tottenham. This one starting off. Quick start from Tottenham. Richarlison getting on the score sheet four minutes in. Gives Spurs the early lead with a nice first time finish after a cutback from Udogi. Richarlison has been absolutely cooking since he's come back. Probably one of the most informed players in the league, if not the most. But Everton looked strong in the first half. Uh, 30 minutes in, they grabbed a level, leveler after a corner kick through Calvert-Lewin. Vicario felt he was impeded by Jack Harrison on that one. They looked at it, not a whole lot going on there outside of the usual. So that one was allowed to stand 1-1 after 30 minutes. Everton doing well in the midfield, turning over Tottenham. Not allowing them to get that comfortable possession that they want. And of course, when you turn over Tottenham, they play with that high defensive line, leaving them exposed at the back. But it was Tottenham that grabbed the third goal, kind of against the run of play. Richarlison, again, getting the brace. This time, a great finish from the edge of the box. Disappointing for Everton, too, that coming in the 41st minute. Uh, concede like that just before halftime, especially when you had the momentum going. So it goes into halftime, 2-1, to one, Tottenham lead. Second half, Tottenham was able to maintain possession a bit more comfortably, but Everton still did have some chances. Um, but the early chances in the second half came from Tottenham. Pedro Porro had a chance, uh, forcing Pickford into a nice save, and then Madison nearly capitalizing on a poor clearance from Godfrey. But again, Pickford coming up with a save on that one as well. Everton made some noise late. Chirmidi almost uh, scored the equalizer. But the end attempt was weak and easily saved. But they left it till the very end. In the 94th minute, they grabbed the equalizer from a set piece. Christian Romero, with a big gaffe on the defensive header, ends up going towards his own goal, falls to Jordan Branthwaite. Jared Branthwaite, that is, who scores. To salvage a point, 2-2 for Everton. 
And I think, you know, looking at this match, you can't say that Everton didn't deserve a point in this one. They put out a good performance. Tottenham, not very comfortable trying to play, you know, their typical style, hold possession. You know, when a team like Everton comes in, makes it difficult for them to play that way. Uh, gave them a tough time. So a well-earned point for Everton. Um, one player that did stand out to me on Tottenham's side was definitely Van de Ven. He's looked excellent. Great defensive capabilities there. So that's the first game of the match week. Heading on in to the second one. We got the Derby. Brighton versus Crystal Palace. The most random Derby, of course, you'll ever see. Looking at the Crystal Palace lineup, it was just hugely disappointing. No Eze, no Elise, both starting on the bench. Or actually, Elise starting on the bench as a out completely. So you just have a super depressing team. You got Lerma, Hughes, Richards, Ayu, Mateta, Schlupp. Not much in terms of attack out of that midfield and forward line. Daniel Munoz getting the start at right back. Making his debut for Crystal Palace. On the other side, a little bit of rotation out of Brighton. Lamptey getting in there. Hinchelwood as well, Gio Pedro Ferguson and Buenanota leading the line there. But getting into the game, Brighton taking an early lead. Lewis Dunk doing what he does best, scoring from a corner. Once again, Pascal Gross getting an assist. Good start for Brighton. And they just kept piling on. Uh, Buenanota had a good chance. But it was straight at Henderson. And then a big change for Crystal Palace. Forced into the change. Mark Gahey off injured. On comes young Adam Wharton. And he had a bit of a, a tough go. Tough game to come into. Um, Brighton grabbing the second goal just five minutes after that injury. Tanchelwood scoring with a looping header to the far post. It's uh, funny. Hinchelwood has shown some really excellent heading capabilities. Kind of random, but, you know, he's shown to be quite capable of that so far. So, Brighton taking the lead 2-0, and then within a minute, Buenanote adds a third poor giveaway from uh, Wharton in midfield. Looked like he was kind of struggling to get up to speed with the pace of the game. You know, Premier League a little bit faster than the championship. Doesn't quite get that same amount of time that he's used to on the ball. So definitely some lessons to be learned in this one for him. Before halftime, Schlupp had a rare chance forcing Verbruggen into a save. It goes into halftime. 3-0, second half. Obviously very comfortable for... Brighton able to just pass around the ball quite a bit. Uh, I thought they looked pretty good in this game. Very comfortable passing the ball, and they were actually moving it around quickly, which was nice to see. Crystal Palace did grab a goal back in the 72nd minute. Mateta with a nice header and a nice cross from Anderson. But after that... Joe Pedro adding a fourth in the 84th minute, linking up well with Danny Welbeck. That caps off the 4-1 victory for Brighton. Big Derby win for Brighton. Get them back in the winning ways. As for Crystal Palace, just another dreadful performance. Elise did end up getting subbed on and then ended up getting hurt and had to get subbed off again within... 11 minutes, came on at half, subbed off in the 56th minute. So that's rough to see. Looks like he'll be missing some time. Eze is going to be missing some time as well. So it is not looking too bright for Crystal Palace going forward. Still Roy Hodgson at the helm, the fearless leader. You know, I think there was rumblings that they just don't feel like there's a capable replacement 
could, you know, come in this stage of the season and make an impact. And, you know, I think there is some something to be said about that. But on the other hand, it's been pretty dire under Roy Hodgson. And, you know, I don't think you can rule out Crystal Palace being right at the relegation zone come the end of the season. So, so moving on to the next... Moving on to the next game, Burnley versus Fulham. This one, another 2-2 draw with a little bit of, uh, you know, late excitement. This one's starting off pretty open. Both sides getting end-to-end, looking to break quick. Not a whole lot of solid possession out of either side, but, you know, the game was open and it was entertaining. Fulham did take an early lead, 17 minutes in. Jao Polina scores with the near post header at the corner. And then Fulham have a second within four minutes. Long ball up from Anthony Robinson. Finds Muniz. Scores with a delightful chip. At that point, you're thinking Fulham in cruise control. 2-0 to Burnley. You know, at Burnley. You're thinking... Probably a pretty good chance that they come away with all three points. Um, but that was not the case. Burnley, you know, they fought back. They looked decent. The huge issue in Burnley's team was definitely the left side of the defense. Anytime Fulham got forward, they were targeting that left side. Patino is really rough. You know, that's been a struggle, their wide defense this season, and it didn't look any better. Uh, there was a big chance for Burnley before halftime for Odebert putting it back across goal and just kind of squared the ball. Ended up just going right in front of the face goal, but no one there to tap it in. Goes into halftime, 2-0 Fulham cruising, but guess what? Burnley have something to say, but it wasn't before Fulham had some opportunities to add a third. Trafford made it Good save, and then uh, Muniz was testing him as well, and William had a curler also saved. And then in the 71st minute, David Dacho Fafana, shout out Chelsea FC Loney, scoring on the counter. Asignan with the run down the left and finds Fafana with a cross. Burn Leno coming out, but ends up in no man's land. And in the end, Fafana is able to get the finish on that one. And then late on, 90 plus one. Fafana grabs the late equalizer after a mistake from Kenny Tete. This time the assist coming from Odebert. Instant impact off the bench there for David Datro Fafana and a great debut for him as well. You know, I was talking to Hank about, about Fafana in this one and he was... He's kind of scratching his head. Why Chelsea want to loan him out when they need a goal scorer? Eh, no, they maybe could have used him. But, uh, you know, hopefully he'll get a run of games for Burnley, score some goals, and maybe he can go back to Chelsea and get a run in the team. Anyways, from a Fulham perspective, pretty disappointing after taking that early 2-0 lead. They concede like that. Two goals coming from mistakes. You'd have to say Burnland on the first one and then Tete on the second one. Preventable. You know, once again, Fulham dropping points on the road. Burnley, does a point really do them a whole lot? Probably not a whole lot at this point, but better than no points. So that one ends 2-2. And moving on to the eight-goal thriller. Newcastle versus Luton. I don't think anyone saw this one going 4-4, especially Newcastle at home, but it sure did. This one starting off early, Longstaff opening up the scoring with a strong first-time strike after a nice run into the box. Kieran Trippier getting the assists on that one. Just an excellent run from deep from Sean Longstaff. 21st minute. Luton draw level from a set piece. Carl, Carlton Morris heads on for 
Osho. He scores from close range. And then just a couple minutes later, Newcastle counter back. Anthony Gordon gets in behind. His shot's saved, but the rebound falls. Sean Longstaff on the hat trick after 23 minutes. Both sides just no no regard for defense whatsoever. They were just pushing forward as much as they could get. And from a neutral perspective, it was great to watch. Very entertaining game. Uh, definitely one that will go down in the record books as a classic. Um, Newcastle pushing for the third, but it's Luton who grabbed the equalizer in the 44th, in the 40th minute. They catch Newcastle unorganized at the back. Ross Barkley gets on the rebound from Dottie's cross. That was pushed away and is able to grab the second goal for Luton. Goes in halftime. 2-2. Two, two. Second half. Plenty of chances. Murphy had a chance to test in Kaminsky at the near post, but the angle was tight. And then Ogbene with a brilliant... Uh, display of his pace past Dan Byrne. And a penalty is awarded. Carlton Morris steps up, takes the penalty, cool, calm, as you like, converts the penalty. Luton take the surprising 3-2 lead. And just three minutes later, Ross Barkley, given too much space, is able to pick a pass to Adebayo, who slots the shot. Newcastle's defense once again exposed. Luton in dreamland leading 4-2 at St. James's Park. But could they hold on? Well, five minutes later, Bruno G picks out Trippier at the back post, who scores with a nice first-time finish. to grab one back. 3-4, Newcastle make it. And then six minutes later, young Lewis Miley winning the ball off of Ross Barkley. Poor giveaway there in his own third. And Harvey Barnes collects the ball, passes to the corner. Great to see him on the return. He's been out for a while. I think he's a player that just suits Newcastle's system so well, especially when they're hitting on the counter like this. His, his uh, pace is just fantastic, and he can definitely score some goals. So this one ends 4-4, like I said Absolutely fantastic game to watch. Newcastle, probably not what you want, conceding four goals to Luton at home. Uh, definitely some work to be done defensively. In attack, good to see Kieran Trippier getting things firing again. He's been kind of off this season, but you know, goal and assist on this one. As for Luton, I think you're probably disappointed you didn't come away with all three points, but at the end of the day, if someone would have said, hey, you'll take a point off of Newcastle at St. James's Park, you would have taken that 100 times out of 100. So that one ends 4-4. Moving on to the last game of Saturday. Pure domination out of Aston Villa against Sheffield United. We were thinking maybe, maybe this is the game where Sheffield can do something. Aston Villa, not the best away team, but this was not the case. A very one-sided affair. Getting things going. Villa take the lead in the 12th minute. Ollie Watkins played in behind. It is chip off the post, and then McGinn capitalizes on the rebound. And just four minutes later, Villa at a second with minimal resistance. Villa go from back to front up to Ollie Watkins, who scores way too easily. Sheffield United not closing out, giving way too much space in the midfield, just allowing Villa to do whatever they please. Um, disappointing to see after their past couple of performances, they've looked better, but... Not in this one. Once again, just four minutes later, Aston Villa at a third. Leon Bailey, once again, given too much space, able to curl a shot past Wes Fodringham. 
absolutely fantastic goal out of Leon Bailey. And 10 minutes later, the 30th minute, Villa had a fourth after shortly having a cleared shot off of the line. Yuri Tielemans is able to score a bar down with absolute fury to make it 4-0. Goes in halftime, 4-0. Just on the other side of halftime, Aston Villa cap it off with the fifth through Ollie Watkins. Um, chipping to Alex Moreno, who scores with a nice first-time finish. Nice volley. That one ends 5-0. Not a whole lot else to talk about. Big win for Aston Villa. It's good to see them, you know, really put their foot down, show their strength in a game like this. It's a game you really want to win against a weak side like Sheffield United. As for Sheffield United, this is a big step backwards, you know, probably five steps backwards after some more promising performances after the return of Chris Wilder, but this one was just not good. I mean, for some reason they decided you know, what we should do is change our lineup a whole lot. Asula starting Brooks, uh, Vinny Sousa, uh, Norrington Davies, Holgate, Vogel. Just not good. Defensively, like, terrible, all out of sorts. Really big question marks on the team um, that was put out there by Chris Wilder. Anyways, moving on to the Sunday games. Starting off, we got Bournemouth versus Nottingham Forest. Once again, we got an early goal. Um, this one coming from a corner for Bournemouth. Luis Sinisteras near post header is finished off by Justin Cliver to take an early lead. Sinistera. Getting the permanent move from Leeds just a couple days ago. Bournemouth making that permanent for £20 million. Uh, after that, you know, I thought I thought Forrest had some, some opportunities, but they really didn't look all that threatening. Uh, they had a couple chances. Awonyi had a chance on the break, but he just kind of scuffed the shot. And then... In the 24th minute, Ryan Yates had a chance from point blank from a set piece, but saved pretty easily as he shot it straight at the keeper. Forrest, unsurprisingly, they were pressing well, but also playing that physical game. Ryan Yates, again, you know, going into a lot of challenges as well. Overall, neither side really able to maintain possession. Most of the game was played in the midfield, um, not too many chances for either side. In the 45th minute, Newcastle did grab the equalizer after hudson Adoy did well to maintain possession and cuts inside and curls a shot past Neto. Disappointing for Bournemouth to concede that goal just before halftime, but Newcastle... You have to say, we're probably the better side at that point, but not not a whole lot to separate the two teams. It was in halftime, 1-1. Second half was pretty much more the same. A lot of midfield play, not a whole lot of chances. Very tight. Bournemouth just weren't able to get things clicking. Uh, the Newcastle, or Nottingham Forest press just really made things difficult for them. They couldn't quite get comfortable, weren't able to get the ball to their attackers much. Dom Solanke was pretty isolated in this one, so didn't see a whole lot out of him. Not a whole lot of chances for either side, like I mentioned, but the big uh, moment in the second half definitely was when Philip Billing was sent off for a pretty rough stamp on... Hudson Adoy just coming down on the Achilles at first. Didn't look that bad, but once you see the replay, nowhere near the ball, obviously just going for the players. So can't have too many arguments with that. But 
that game ends 1-1. Points are shared. I think overall you'd say that's probably a fair result. Forest pick up a point away from home. So that's okay. Uh, but still, you know, you want to be picking up more with that possible 10-point deduction looming large over your head. But anyways, moving on to the next game, Chelsea versus Wolves. This was the true reason why Hank wouldn't come on the podcast tonight. He was too upset, too upset by Chelsea. Uh, another disappointing defeat. I think he was feeling a little better about this one coming into the match. Chelsea at home. They've been a bit more competent, but not so much in this game. Starting off, Wolves had a couple of chances on the break. A common theme for Chelsea once again, just poor giveaways in the midfield. You know, the defense being a little too lackadaisical, the midfield being lackadaisical. A lot of times, Caicedo being isolated way too much, just giving away the ball. Um, and Cuckoo had an early chance, but he couldn't get the shot on target after getting past Saw. But you know what? Chelsea did open the scoring, and it was Caicedo threading a nice ball to Cole Palmer, kind of right down the middle. Cuts inside and scores to take the lead. But Wolves were able to grab the equalizer just three minutes later. This time, Caicedo having the ball taken off of him in midfield. Jao Gomez finds Cunha, who scores with a deflected shot. After that, uh, Chelsea had some comfortable possession, but still, Wolves were really defending well. They, they played that low block, made it very difficult for Chelsea to move the ball uh, in the attack in third. Chelsea didn't have a lot of answers. A few times they just put in these hopeful crosses, but it's like there is no one there to get on the end of these crosses whatsoever. So I don't know what the point of that was. I think it, you know, it kind of reminded me of Arsenal, the way they've been struggling at times this season. I think Chelsea really need to focus on the ball movement. And they had some some decent ball movement in the first half. Um, you know, they were playing some one-twos and getting it moving, and that's when they looked the most dangerous. But once they start slowing things down, you know, then it's even easier to defend from a Wolves perspective. And it's like you really got to be shifting the ball side to side, making one-twos, you know, vertical, horizontal, and they just weren't doing that good enough to draw the Wolves' defense out. And in the 43rd minute, Wolves take a 2-1 lead. They build quick from the back. Neto finds Ait Nuri in the box, who scores once again, coming from a deflected shot. You got to say, it was definitely unlucky for Chelsea to concede two deflected goals in the way that they did. But I don't think you could say that it was un unfair the way that it, uh, you know, things felt. It seemed like Wolves, you know, they, they were dangerous despite mostly playing on the counter. So that one goes into halftime, 2-1. to one. Second half, early chances for both sides. Neto having a shot saved by Petrovic. And then Sterling had a chance after a cutback from Chilwell. But he dragged the shot wide. Very poor not to get that shot on target. Sarabia had a nice free kick saved. Or it went just wide. I can't remember exactly. But after that, Wolves take the 3-1 lead. Pedro Neto getting the best of Thiago Silva down the right. No contest in that one. Cuts back to Cunha for the third goal. Um, after that, Cunha... In the 80th 
minute gets brought down by Malagusto after a run down the left-hand side, taken down in the box. It was fairly soft, I think it has to be said, but it was definitely down to the positioning of Gusto, who was, you know, obviously behind Cunha. So one of those where it just it doesn't look good when there's even marginal contact from behind like that. So Wolves getting the penalty. And Cunha completes a hat trick from the spot. He's definitely right up there with Richarlison for being one of the most informed players in the league so far. After that, Chelsea able to pull one back, but it's just a consolation goal. Thiago Silva scoring. This is coming from uh, Mudrick on that one. So that one ends 4-2. Another disappointing defeat, especially Chelsea at home. This one, you know, brings questions. Pochettino, is he the right guy? It's it's hard it's hard to say. You know, it's it feels like I don't know if there is a right guy for this Chelsea team. I think at this point you kind of have to just force someone into being the guy. And I think you know, Poch might be the best your best chance at having that having someone be kind of forced into that guy, forced into that mold of being that guy. Obviously right now I think the tactics just aren't quite right. The teams I really don't care for the uh the the Fernandez Gallagher, Caicedo, midfield, not in terms of personnel. I mean, I think they're all very capable players, but, you know, I think Gallagher should be the 10, Enzo the 8, Caicedo the 6, but a lot of times Caicedo's getting isolated way too much. And then in defense, Thiago Silva is just, I don't see a reason why he's still pointing at this point. I'd rather have someone else be playing Bataya Shile, you know, get him comfortable, integrated into the team. Obviously, you're not playing for a Champions League spot at this point. It doesn't really matter. If you want to play Thiago Silva in the FA Cup, I guess that's fine. But I just think it's time to move on. There's nothing to really hold on to here. So what's the point on the flip side wolves fantastic victory we've seen it before where they come to chelsea and, and they just set up so perfectly to hit on the counterattack, and that happened once again such a, a fantastic team gary o'neill has set up here and they're flying at the moment pedro neto has been fantastic and obviously mateus cunha who's Definitely improved his goal scoring markedly. Looks much more dangerous under Gary O'Neill than he ever did under Lopetegui. Even guys like Saravia are, are producing. And then defensively, they've been just so solid. Kilman and Dawson, Tati, Mario Lamina at the base of the midfield has been excellent. So another solid victory for Wolves. Gary O'Neill, he's our guy. He is our guy. He's been fantastic. People still may be sleeping on him, but we see it. Next match of the match week, Manchester United hosting West Ham United. Manchester United coming into this one. They've been in fine form. Nothing different in this one. United didn't look the most threatening, but they were able to get the victory in this one. They just, they've been much more efficient with their chances. It's not like they're dominating teams. They definitely still, let's see what the possession stats were. I mean, it was pretty much even 51-49. So it wasn't like they were dominating West Ham in terms of possession stats, but they've been more efficient it's got to be said, the team sheet they, they rolled up with 
in this one way stronger than it's been. Martinez has um he's been back. And then Hoyland has been firing much better as well. So and of course Casemiro in the midfield. So getting into this one. First chance of the game falls for West Ham from a corner. Onana making a nice reaction save from Edson Alvarez's chance. Bruno had a chance. He tests Alphonse Ariola from long range after a corner. But it's Hoyland who scores the opening goal from the top of the box after Casemiro did well to keep the ball in the attack. In third, he just throws a pass right up to Hoyland. He's able to turn and shoot. Does, does nicely to, there to get the finish. He's looked much improved, but I think it's also just the team around him has been improved. So he's getting better service, getting better chances. And, uh, yeah, it, it's paying off. West Ham, I thought it was interesting to see in this one. They didn't play as defensively as as we've seen them play this season. They were definitely more on the front foot. United, at times, allow teams to, you know, get in their face, and they definitely did that in this one, too. Like I said, it wasn't wasn't domination of possession, no no seventy thirty possession or anything. So West Ham definitely had their fair share of the ball, and looked the better side in the second half of the first half, but not really able to get much in terms of attack. Still kind of figuring out their best lineup here. Calvin Phillips starting on the bench on this one. Goes into halftime 1-0. Second half, United grab an early second goal. Garnacho doubling the lead with a deflected shot, finding the back of the net. And after that, West Ham, again with more possession, but still not really able to create much for chances. And they pay the price. 84th minute, Manchester United grab a third, hitting on the counter. After a giveaway, once again, Calvin Phillips. They're just kind of dilly-dallied on the ball in midfield, giving it away, leading to a goal for Garnacho, his second of the day. Finishes 3-0. Another solid victory it has to be said for Manchester United. They've been in fine form. Garnacho picking up two goals. West Ham feels pretty rough. I don't know if a 3-0 scoreline really suits how the game went, but kind of highlights that they have struggled offensively to create chances and to put those chances in the back of the net. So still some work to be done for West Ham moving forward. And to the marquee matchup, of the weekend, Arsenal versus Liverpool at the Emirates. This one was a game I was not feeling confident in because I never feel confident when Arsenal plays Liverpool, whether that's home or away. Lately, Arsenal's definitely been playing Liverpool better. <clears throat> but Liverpool definitely still have that threat to really burn you like they did Chelsea I mean, and put up some crooked numbers. But Arsenal, they played this one excellently. I mean, very much controlled the game, limited Liverpool in possession, in terms of attack. Liverpool barely had any any chances. I think their expected goals was pretty low, maybe around like 0.5 or something. But at no point did they really look threatening. Uh, Arsenal able to grab an early goal 14 minutes in after Kai Havertz getting in behind. He has a terrible attempt on goal, it has to be said, a one-on-one with the keeper. But thankfully, it fell to Saka, who was able to capitalize on that rebound. And Arsenal, after that, just able to control the match, keep it at their tempo, push forward. And it even looked like 
you know, they had some chances where they could add a second goal. And I felt like, okay, is this going to be where we struggle to get that second goal and then pay for it? And it looked like that. Just before halftime, an error at the back from Arsenal, just kind of a, a, a real mistake at the back, ends up with a Gabriel own goal. Very, very disappointing, but also not surprising for Arsenal. That's definitely something we've seen where they just kind of, you know, make a mistake at the back and all of a sudden they let a team back into the game. So it goes in halftime, 1-1, second half. Liverpool end up making some subs. Nunes comes on, Harvey Elliott comes on. Andy Robertson comes on. But those guys didn't have too much of an impact. Still, Arsenal was able to neutralize the attack. And then they were able to grab a second goal in the 67th minute. Gabriel Martinelli does it once again. He loves scoring against Liverpool. And this game was no different. Yeah, this one coming from a mistake at the back, this time from Liverpool after Allison and Van Dijk have a miscommunication. Uh, Van Dijk thought Allison was coming out to clear the ball. He did end up coming out to clear the ball, but he came with a big swing and a miss. And it allowed Martinelli to pick up the ball and score easily to give Arsenal the 2-1 lead. After that, uh, Arsenal made a couple changes. Changes Trossard and Reese Nelson coming on. And then the next moment that kind of sealed the game up for Arsenal, Ibrahima Konate getting a second yellow card after a foul on Kai Havertz, who is a little bit theatrical, it must be said, but still, I think, worthy of a second yellow card. That's on um, sent off. And then just to add the icing on the cake, Leandro Trossard doing what he does best, scoring off the bench, getting the assist from uh, Kivior, Hank's guy Kivior, scoring from a tight angle on that one, right through the wickets on Alisson to cap off a fantastic 3-1 victory. Arsenal absolutely going crazy in the celebrations, much to the annoyance of some people, pundits, fans, most notably Jamie Carragher, said Arsenal were celebrating too much, um, which is pretty funny. Curtis Jones later said that uh, Jurgen Klopp's the inventor of the fist pump. So, Liverpool, definitely no salt in that loss, but Arsenal, massive, massive victory against Liverpool at home. They might not win the title, but when you can win big games like that, that's that's what makes it all worth it. You want to have these big moments where you can truly enjoy yourself, and that's what football is all about. So when you win the big games, enjoy yourself, celebrate, take your pictures, and enjoy the moment. Wrapping things up, got the last game on Monday, Brentford versus Man City. This one, starting off, Flecken was just a busy man in the first half. I think he had eight saves in the first half. Julian Alvarez testing him a couple times. Walker had a chance from way downtown that knuckled and swerved. Flecken, he, he did well. He was keeping City at bay for as long as he could. And uh, even allowed his team to get get the lead. He got the assist. Uh, Neil Maupai's goal in the 21st minute. Just a straight long ball up. Ivan Tony with the dummy. Maupai getting in behind and scores. Take the unexpected lead. 1-0. After that, Man City continued to apply the pressure. They were moving the ball left to right. 
really working it well. Obviously, Kevin De Bruyne, fantastic as always. They finally were able to grab an equalizer just before halftime. Phil Foden scores after a, a weak clearance attempted by Ethan Pinnock. Disappointing just before halftime to concede in that manner, but it was definitely coming. So this one goes in halftime, 1-1. In the second half, Man City didn't take too long to score a second. 53 minutes in, Kevin De Bruyne plays just a perfect ball to Phil Foden, this time scoring with a header. After that, Brentford did apply some pressure on City and attempt to grab an equalizer, but the finishing was lacking. They just couldn't get the final ball, couldn't get the final shot. They grabbed the equalizer. And then in the 70th minute, Phil Foden wrapped up the hat trick. Rodri threading a ball up to Holland, lays it off to Foden first time, who finishes off for the goal. Just smooth as you like. Surgical for Man City, just chopping up Brentford like that. They looked in fine form and picking up the victory. They were ha probably happy to see Liverpool drop points to Arsenal there. So things setting up once again for Man City's late you know, second half of the season title charge, but for real, unlike a certain Manchester club. So that wraps it up for the games of the week. Look ahead to the fixtures for this weekend. Starting off early, Man City versus Everton at the Etihad. I think there's a chance Everton could make this a little bit interesting, but still, you expect Man City to handle this one pretty comfortably. I'd say probably a 3-0 from City. They're looking pretty good. Next match, Fulham versus Bournemouth. I think this one should be a pretty tightly contested match. I think Bournemouth over the past couple weeks haven't looked as good, but I think they'll still be, you know, up for this one. I think this one could end in a draw. Let's say probably 2-2. After that, we have Liverpool versus Burnley at Anfield. I expect Liverpool to take out their frustrations on this Burnley team. Burnley, you know, they did fight back, grabbed a draw in the last match, obviously. But I think Liverpool will just have too much to offer there. I'm going to say 4-0 to Liverpool. Next match after that, a big six-pointer at the bottom of the table. Luton versus Sheffield United at the Ken. This is a must-win for both teams if they want to survive. And I think, you know, I favor Luton in this one for sure. But you can never know with, with Sheffield. And Luton, they feel like they have a tendency to kind of play down to their opponents, so... This one could be one where they maybe aren't able to pick up a win. But I think I'm going to say a 2-1 Luton on this one. After that, we got Spurs versus Brighton. Should be an interesting game. Hopefully we see Brighton play in the way they did in the last match where their attack looked much better. Hopefully we can see two sides with some good attacking threat. Some end-to-end -end action, maybe. It's hard to say in this one. I think this is a tough one to call. I think maybe just edging out Spurs with the 2-1 win over Brighton. After that, we have Wolves versus Brentford. Wolves at the Molyneux. I would have to say I favor them after that big win against Chelsea. They looked fantastic. Um... But I don't think you could rule out Brentford giving them giving them a tough run for their money. I think I'm going to say 3-2 Wolves in this one. In the final game of Saturday, Forest versus Newcastle at the city ground. Forest obviously giving Newcastle a tough go in their last match against them where Chris Wood scored the hat trick. Um, 
Newcastle, they've kind of been all over the place, scoring goals, conceding goals. I think they'll probably edge out this one. I'm going to say 2-1 Newcastle. A couple games on Sunday, starting off with West Ham versus Arsenal. West Ham, the attack hasn't quite been clicking in this one. Perhaps we'll see them go back to a little more defensively, try and frustrate Arsenal. Wouldn't surprise me. I think Arsenal are probably going to be feeling good after that game against Liverpool, but they'll have to be on their A game if they want to score against this uh, solid West Ham team that beat them in the first match. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with uh, Arsenal 1-0. Yeah, I, I think that's I think it'll be a tight game. Second and final game of Sunday, Aston Villa versus Manchester United at Villa Park. This should be an excellent game. Two sides in fine form. Just matching it up. I think Aston Villa will have the majority of the possession. You know, United looking to hit on the counter. Can they be clinical in their chances? Um, I think there are opportunities to catch Aston Villa at the back. Sometimes they get a little sloppy, trying to force playing out of the back a little too much. So I think there's opportunities there to hit on the counter. Um, but Aston Villa, the attack has been excellent. So they could just really push United back into their own box. I think I'm going to say a 2-2 draw in this one. Wrapping things up, Crystal Palace versus Chelsea at Selhurst Park. Crystal Palace, I don't feel confident in them whatsoever, but Chelsea, I don't really feel confident in them either. They look really bad, but I think Crystal Palace are just really in a dark spot at the moment. I think Chelsea probably wins this one, maybe a 2-1. I think Crystal Palace just really struggling for goals at the moment. But, you know, Monday at Selhurst Park, anything can happen. As for a prediction this week, um, I think Willian will grab a goal for Fulham against Bournemouth. So I will say that as my prediction. And with that, that wraps up this episode, the very first solo edition of the podcast. Apologize if it wasn't the best episode, but doing my best here. Hope to have Hank back again next week. Anyways, that wraps it up for now. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you. We appreciate those who enjoy the Premier League like we do leave a like leave a comment subscribe do whatever you want to do we appreciate you enjoy the games this weekend peace out